0: this episode of the Alt-Normal. What's been missing in the conversation and is uh, part of you know the work that I do is really having women be responsible for their pleasure and their desire and how powerful it is. Because we're not talking about that. Women have no idea how to work with their sexual energy. Women are extremely magnetic.
1: Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt-Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth.
0: Joe Biden will become president of the United States.
1: Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future.
0: At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution.
1: How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of Alt-Normal we consciously remake together.
0: Everyone has a part to play. Let's
1: Let's rise. rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The Alt-Normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real, we are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies and marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Canggu, that enable people to live and work from paradise, encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So with that, I am so honored to welcome our guest for today's episode, Amy Batuski. So... Amy is a pleasure and intimacy expert committed to helping women live turned on, connected, and satisfying lives. She is the co founder of Desire on Fire, a retreat company based in California. Amy is trained with some of the top intimacy and sexuality teachers in the world. Amy has led workshops and retreats around the world, including New York, California, Burning Man, Mexico, Peru, and Bali. Through Amy's virtual and in-person work, she's taught hundreds of women how to create wild, confident intimacy, hot sex, and fulfilling relationships. So we are so honored, and thank you so much, Amy, for joining us on
0: this episode today. It's so exciting to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. It's such a pleasure for me. And thank you for that beautiful introduction.
1: Oh, amazing. So during this conversation, I really want to cover as much as um, we can about this really juicy topic of pleasure. And I really want to start broadly at the level of culture first, and then we can kind of dive deeper into these juicier um, elements and experience and moments that you've experienced and really helped other women come into being. Um, So my first curiosity to you is, in general, is culture good at talking about pleasure and desire from where you sit? Do you feel like the conversation right now is where you
0: want to see it? Definitely not. (laughs) That's the, that's the short answer. Um, no, I, I think that our culture is very behind on, uh, the talking about the importance of pleasure. I mean, thinking I'm just, there's so many things I could say to this question, but thinking, you know, immediately to our sexual education, right? Sex education is, is the, one of the first kind of exposures for people when they're young to this conversation of, well, you would hope it would be a conversation about pleasure since that's one of the things that we talk about, uh, that we link right in our culture is sex and pleasure, though pleasure is so much more than sex. But I'm thinking right now, as you brought this up and thinking about our greater cultural narrative, sex education says very little at all about pleasure, Right. We don't learn how to discover what our bodies like, learn what feels good. We don't, we don't learn in sex education, how to communicate effectively about what pleases us with a sexual partner. We don't even learn extensively what the different pleasure spots on our bodies are. So that's just what came to mind for me immediately. Like that, that's a huge missing just from like the, the earlier conversations that we have as a culture around what I would hope to be around pleasure. It's not, it's just around more of the anatomical and physical experiences of sex. Um, but, but then of course, as a greater conversation, uh, broader than just limited to sex, we're not talking about pleasure. We're talking about achievement. We're talking about success. We're talking about money. You know, we're talking about in certain circles, even transformational work, you know, but it's focused on spirituality or yoga or, uh, different kinds of elements there, uh, you know, communicating well and and still pleasure and desire for me is left out a lot of the time, even in conscious circles, um, where it's not the focus. And even in a lot of a lot of our culture, even more the spiritual um and spiritual realms, it's even seen as sinful, right? Or, you know, you shouldn't want. <laughs> you shouldn't want. It creates suffering, right? Those kinds of conversations in certain spiritual circles. So I think even in the more Quote, unconscious uh, elements of our culture and in conscious communities and spiritual communities it's a missing it is majorly missing as a conversation and as something that we focus on and give importance to
1: yeah beautifully said and I am so happy that you are kind of um, activating these conversations in the world and we're going to come back to pleasure and how you personally practice um embodying this and helping other women do this. But first, I want to focus on, um, you know, an aspect of the Me Too movement. Because when I think about women in power, I really do feel like a lot catalyzed um, after Me Too started worldwide in 2017. And as we know, Me Too was a historic coming out moment for women all around the world against sexual abuse and sexual harassment um, and making it very public. But that said, you know, we don't often hear the narrative come through that, you know, sex healed me and this is how I reclaimed myself sexually. And I just want to quote um, this excerpt from an article I found in Teen Vogue that I thought was really um powerful And they said, you know, more and more people are coming to understand that we can address uh, sexual violence without transforming the culture that surrounds sex. when we stop treating sex as a you know zero-sum game through which men are affirmed, male pleasure is prioritized, and women degraded and actually start treating it like a creative collaboration between two or more, equal partners of any gender, then only then will sexually violent behavior stop seeming normal. Um, So, you know, you've been uh, an intimacy and sex coach now for, I think, three and a half years. Um, You can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, that really coincided with the start of this movement of women really standing up in their power and reclaiming themselves in different ways. So I'm so curious to hear, you know, from day one, when you started on this path till now, what have you seen shift in terms of the culture around sex and women really standing in their power to um, really reclaim whatever it is that has been forgotten or neglected?
0: Yeah, it's such a good conversation to be having and you know I have some some controversial views about this whole thing um because I love that quote. Thank you for sharing that excerpt. That was great. I'd love a copy of that. <laughs> um that was beautiful and um yeah, I think the the me too movement is It was amazing was, is, you know, it it is, it made, uh, it, it was exactly what you said. It was a coming out for so many women who felt silenced and hadn't spoken their truth and hadn't shared their pain and, uh, their experiences. And, you know, I back all women speaking up and speaking their truth and being seen in their experience and being validated in their experiences. And at the same time, there was such a focus on men being bad. And men not having, you know, men not having the masculine role models that they need, which I think is definitely the case. <laughs> One of the things that contributed and men not having, um, respect for women and men not appreciating women and their, um, you know, like the, all of the, all of the, uh, the, what's it called? Like memes and things. It's like women naked and saying like, still not asking for it. Right. And, and, um, I, yes, I agree with that for sure. No woman is ever asking for sex unless she is, (laughs) unless she is overtly asking for sex, right. And consenting to it. But, um, but at the same time, I think what's been missing in the conversation and, uh, as part of, you know, the work that I do is really having women be responsible for their pleasure and their desire and how powerful it is. Because we're not talking about that. Women have no idea. Neither do men, but I work with women. Women have no idea how to work with their sexual energy. (laughs) Women are extremely magnetic. Now, am I saying that because women are extremely magnetic, they are asking for any sort of unsolicited uh, attention? No. But what I am saying is it is just as important to be having these conversations with women in our culture, as it is to be having conversations with men, right? Around understanding your sexual desires, having approval for your sexual desires, men and women, um, releasing shame around your sexual desires, owning your boundaries, knowing how to say yes and no, both men and women, right? Because there's just as much as men are not learning how to honor boundaries, women aren't learning how to set them and so it is, it is, it is both, right? And I and I also don't want to just make this about men and women. It's it's all genders, right? It's all people who need to be having these conversations and fully understanding. And it's exactly that. We need a healing around sexuality as a whole. Because one other thing that I see in the whole Me Too movement that the Me Too movement just uh highlighted to me is a, a serious um disapproval for desire, right? And a serious disapproval for kinky desire, because in my perspective, um, a lot of these, you know, unsolicited or inappropriate experiences, uh, that people had, because it wasn't just women, right. Mostly women, but men too also came out with their stories were in my opinion, a, a, um, result of pe- all people not having what I call rightness and approval for what they want. So then it comes out sideways in force and abuse and assault because the person doesn't feel uh, honored and approved of in their desires, So they don't feel like they can ask for it. So then because they have shame, because our society is so shaming around desires and kinky desires, especially, um, it comes out sideways and it comes out in force because the person doesn't think they can ask for, hey, I really want to have aggressive sex. Hey, I really want to have uh, sex in the workplace because I get turned on by like the idea of this kinky desire to like hook up with somebody at work. right? And so then all these things are happening the, and what I would call like shadow desires and shadowy actions are happening that are not um that are not brought to the light. They're not integrated. They're not approved of and they're not conscious. So then they're coming out in all these ways that are completely harmful right completely uh uh what's the word i want to say like um they can be disastrous right they, it can be disastrous when people are, do not feel honored and loved and approved of in what they want when they are filled with shame it can come out sideways in force and manipulation and assault
1: yeah wow amy that's um Powerful, and I really feel like you help us contextualize that there there needs to be real healing done in this space of owning what it is that we truly want, what is truly real um, in ourselves, in order to claim, uh, you know, our our power with other people and other partners. So, um, I definitely want to dive deeper into that. But f- before we do. Um on the flip side, I would love to sort of give some light to this archetype of the goddess. So we're seeing this word goddess just all over the place. I see it all over the world. I myself partook in um a goddess gathering a couple years back and I I literally awakened to the power of bringing women together in having these types of conversations where we really embody our gifts and we really lean into pleasure. Um, and so I would love to ask you, because you seem to use this word a lot in your work, what is a goddess? And is this archetype available to any woman from my 12-year-old cousin going through puberty all the way to my
0: 100-year-old grandma? Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so to me, a goddess is uh is just the divine. I actually think of all women as goddesses and all men as gods. And I, it's just that we are, to me, we're all, um, we're all a product of the divine. We all have divine energy inside of us. And we, and, and a goddess can look all different ways. I used to lead a goddess circle every month I had for three or four years. Um, and in person until COVID hit. Um, and I would start most of the goddess circles. It was called Fierce Goddess Circle and Fierce stand for, stood for, well, it does stand for, Fierce stands for feminine, inspired, expressed, radiant, connected, and elevated. And that was my commitment for these circles. And I would ask women, what does a goddess mean to you? What is a goddess to you? And it gets to be created. It gets to be discovered um, by each woman and, you know, anyone who identifies as a woman or anyone who identifies as a goddess, right? Hell yeah, right? The divine energy is in all of us and in my view. And so um, I think we have, and to me, it really does relate to the the pleasure work that I do that I I actually wasn't even connected to actually when I started my goddess circle. I started my goddess circle when I was a life coach, just a general life coach wasn't doing pleasure work. So I was already tapping into something then before I started down my whole pleasure awakening journey. But now I really see how it connects because I, I really believe that we all have so much magical power inside of us. And, um, with using our intuition, using our energy, um, our sight, you know, what we can see and hear in other people that they might not say the things that we can feel from others, the energy that we can receive from nature, from, from everything. And so to me, it's like goddess is like just connecting to, to the magic within each of us, um, and the, the divine energy within each of us. And that gets to look every different way for every different person.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. And, um, you know, I, I really want to stay with the part where you said that you started this goddess circle even before embarking on your pleasure awakening journey, which I think you phrased it like that. I love that. And it just it segues beautifully into my next curiosity, which is um, around the the tipping point for you when you said yes and you took that big leap to honor your own path of pleasure. And I would love to maybe hear an anecdote or a moment that you can share from your past about when you really touched that sort of chord of goddess and that was like, yes, I want a life where I create this for myself and I help other women create that
0: experience with them themselves. Yeah, Ooh, well, I'm I don't know if I can think of one specific moment because um, there have just been so many, but I I know for sure that I it I, it took going down before I came back up um, and 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 was open to this kind of pleasure desire exploration. Um I, I had to get desperate enough in my love life and my sex life and my relationships with men because I felt so frozen in my body and so disconnected from my emotionality and my pleasure. And I just kind of resented men. And so I had to go, I had to go way down and and feeling really kind of distraught and lost and stuck around my relationships with men in order to even open to this conversation. Because I was like very entitled and was like, I don't need it. Like, I'm good. I'm just going to like create a great relationship and I'll just, I'll just, it'll be the right time at some point. And I was really naive. Like now I know it doesn't just happen. (laughs) Like you actually have to do the inner work to, to shift the shame and release the blocks and then to get into pleasure in order to magnetize the the vibrational matches of what you're looking for in relationship and um it takes the inner work to do that it doesn't just happen so i i started on this journey of of awakening um, first by being introduced to orgasmic meditation and it's funny because i just talked about this today with a girlfriend over lunch i hadn't talked about it in quite a while and I do remember the very first time that I practiced orgasmic meditation, which is a partnered clitoris stroking practice. So one person strokes the other person's clitoris. Um, The person being stroked is always a woman or someone with a vulva. And I, uh, yeah, I remember the first time because I learned this practice and I was absolutely terrified. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm like spreading my legs with another human being in broad daylight, sober, like without replication and no sexual play afterwards. What? No. Um, it was so terrifying to me. So confronting to my ego and to everything about me and, and like my pride and my identity and everything. Um, and so after I learned the practice, three months later, I was courageous enough to try it out with, with another practitioner, somebody else that practices this. And it was really powerful. And it was really beautiful for me to trust a man, surrender enough for 15 minutes to just receive this experience and to literally have the most private part of my body be stroked. And that was, that was profound. That was really profound. My first orgasmic meditation practice was definitely a turning point. And then all of the all of the amazing awakening moments that have happened since, both in my orgasmic meditation practice, in all of the courses, programs, and trainings that I've done around these topics, in different retreats that I've participated in, and different kinds of self-pleasure practices and sensual movement practices and things that I've learned since um, that have all contributed to my awakening and accessing that. What whoa, 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 that powerful energy inside of me that I was just so disconnected to before.
1: Wow. That's amazing. And I, you know, I've heard of orgasmic meditation many times. I remember Vice did a documentary about it and, you know, it was just all the rage and, and, you know, people are showing curiosity. So it very much, you know, is... I see becoming much more mainstream. And I kind of want to, you know, go deeper into pleasure as a form of power. And you and I before this podcast talked and you you said something so beautiful that I'd never heard expressed before. You said um, pleasure is almost a nutrient and a medicine. And You know, I want to hear from you. Do you feel pleasure is just as important as our basic physiological needs, you know, of food, shelter, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs always, you know, centers like the basic physiological stuff is the most important. I think pleasure comes sort of after that. But more and more, I'm hearing pleasure as, you know, a form of medicine. It can cure you know, people of depression, anxiety, and it really gets you out of your mind and into your body. So I would love to hear you kind of articulate how you see pleasure um, playing a role in people's like basic needs in life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it is absolutely a required nutrient uh, if you want to live a life that feels vibrant. Some people aren't interested in that. <laughs> that's that's fine, right? Like if you just kind of want like a baseline life, that's all good. But if you want a life that feels vibrant and alive and has sensation in it, then yes, pleasure has got to be a priority and absolutely is an important necessity as a nutrient. And Yeah, I mean, there's so many things I've 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 witnessed in myself and my clients around healing, where it doesn't just heal. You know, it doesn't. It's not just. It doesn't just feel good. You know, like accessing things in life that are pleasurable for you is not just for the sake of it feeling good. It is so healing. I have seen women heal ancestral trauma from accessing their pleasure and healing their shame. I have seen women heal um, physical ailments from accessing their pleasure. I have seen women heal. Um, vaginal issues, like health issues, like pain that they've had for years from having pleasure practices. Um, I've seen women reverse their their symptoms for menopause by taking on pleasure practices. Um, I have seen people heal different forms of disease just by connecting with their pleasure. Definitely, like you said, anxiety and depression um, majorly. I have seen alleviated from people when they heal their shame, access their pleasure, and listen to their intuition and follow their desires.
1: Wow. That's beautiful. Just the list can just go on. And um, I... There's this quote um, by this activist, Grace Lee Boggs, and she says, transform yourself to transform the world. And you were just touching on this. And I don't know if you want to maybe share some more color or just if you can recall it, like um, a specific client that you worked with. Um, And just like shed some some more light on when women transform their relationship to pleasure within themselves. What is actually possible for them to transform in their own worlds, even if even if they're single, even if they choose to not have a partner? What? Yeah. What is possible when you transform your relationship to pleasure? And what have you seen?
0: Oh my gosh. I have like a thousand stories running through my head right now. I'm like, okay, who do I share about? What do I (laughs) like? There's so many good ones. Okay. One that just came to mind, which I'm just going to trust that it's the one that's standing out, um, is a client of mine who, when she came into our work, our desire on fire work, she, uh, had not had sex except for an incident of rape. And she felt very resistant and fearful around relationships with men. And she came from an extremely religious background. Um, And so, you know, sex before marriage was sinful, right? There was a lot of shame around sex and pleasure. Um, And she... I'll never forget her first retreat with me. And she just, you know, cried through most of it. It was very healing and revealing. It was, you know, I tell women, they begin to cry a lot more when they step into our work. And I say our, because my business partner, Ellie and I lead our retreats and our programs together. Um, and when they step into this realm, this feminine realm, they begin to thaw out. Um, they begin to thaw out where they're frozen and our culture really has us freeze up and be a lot in our, masculine energy and this is thawing out and into their feminine energy. And so they just cry a lot. You know, we just cry a lot doing this work and they're like, Oh, that makes sense. Thanks for letting me know why this is happening. (laughs) Um, and like, don't worry about it. It's just perfect. It's exactly part of this process. So anyway, this client, um, she just cried and she had so much healing that weekend and um, just released so much shame around the fact that she does have sexual desires. The fact that she was raped, the fact that that was her only experience of sex, right? When people ask her, like, have you had sex? It's such a, it's like, well, not consensually, right? It was a really shameful, experience for her and and then lingered because that was always there for her in any conversation around sex. Um and anyway she she has you know stepped into this work and has transformed immensely. She started having beautiful conscious relationships after that retreat and she's continued to do our work and um yeah. I just have gotten to watch her have these these relationships with men and have sex that is beautiful and connected and pleasurable. She asks for what she wants. She healed so much of her trauma uh, in the weekend of her first retreat with us. And then in the courses since, as well as in those relationships, because she's freed up to talk about it. She released the shame around what she experienced and around her sexual desires. And so she's met by the men that she dates and she can talk about it freely. And actually she's really passionate about bringing this conversation to the Christian community. And so she is just a total leader in sharing with women in her life. Um, She's actually participating in my pleasure mastery program that just began. And many of her friends are in it who are very, you know, devout Christians. And it's amazing (laughs) because they want to expand their conversation around pleasure and sex because they've been limited to the view from the church. Right. And they can feel that there needs to be a different conversation being had and they want to feel permission and approval for their sexual desires. And so she is, you know, not only having beautiful sex and has healed her trauma and shame around her experience of rape, but she also shared about it publicly on her social media which she would have never done and gave so much permission for women to reach out to her who have experienced similar things. And she is just an absolute leader in her community because she's still very connected to the church. She loves her her religious community. And she's being this pillar of permission for sexuality and pleasure. And she's just one example because many of the women who work with me are leaders in different capacities. I have therapists as clients and coaches and journalists and different kinds of women in business and in corporate. And they all spread the message of permission and desire and sexuality and pleasure wherever they go when they leave the rooms of the retreats or the virtual classrooms.
1: I have a huge smile on my face from that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, it brought to mind this book that um, was written by a Black trans activist named Adrienne Ree Brown. It's called Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. Um, And contextualizing pleasure as a form of, um, you know, radical sort of self-love, self-care, and there were just like two quotes that stood out, which is, you know, you were always free to begin with. And the erotic awakening is how we reclaim our whole selves. And once we do, we won't settle for self-negation or suffering. And, you know, your story about your client who was able to heal this trauma from her rape and, and integrate that so fully that she could embody that um, in her Christian community and really empower and lift up other women to take that stand for themselves. It just shows what's possible when one, one, one woman stands up and, and shares that with the woman around her. Um, and, you know, you've, you've touched on this, but I always love to kind of tease out, you know, what's the old story that's falling away and what is the new story that's emerging? And you are part of this new story of sexuality um, and you touch on pain you know, as that sort of catalyst for pleasure or how you transform pain into pleasure. And I would love to hear, you know, what is that new story emerging for you in the pleasure space? And is it possible to navigate um,
0: pain with pleasure in this new story? Yeah, I mean, they, they're they two sides of the same coin. You know, pain and pleasure are both just sensation. So it's, we're absolutely changing the conversation about pain and pleasure because pleasure is a, is such a profound way to heal the pain of the world. And there's just going to be more and more pain if people are denying and rejecting their pleasure. (laughs) And so I just really see how how important they are. It's funny, I actually I have a podcast, as you know, uh called With Pleasure. And I just interviewed somebody, um, Nitika Chopra, uh, last week. And she is like an advocate for discussing and and healing the stigma around people with chronic pain. And so we had a whole conversation about pain and pleasure and how her experience of being in pain most of her life has impacted her experience of pleasure. And I think it's it's all actually. It's all actually just people being able to connect to their bodies and feel all that there is to feel, right? There's a reason that we feel pain. Thank God we feel pain. I mean, you know, there are people that physically don't feel pain because they have a, you know, some sort of a medical uh, condition where they don't feel pain and they are, it is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous because they don't have those warning signs, right? So we feel pain for a reason. We also feel pleasure for a reason. And I I just really see that that it is so important as a as a society for us to feel all of it. We need to feel the pain. Life is painful, right? Life is challenging sometimes and painful. And it can be really confronting and and it can be really challenge us. And then and then also there's so much pleasure to be felt. And so to me, it's like changing the conversation from distracting and numbing and spending and eating and drinking and achieving all these ways that we distract and numb out? Because that's our focus, right? Like our culture is obsessed with achieving, making money, drinking, partying, right? TV, all ways that we numb out, all ways that we fixate on things that are not our bodies. (laughs) and so this is this is to me the conversation is shifting from all the ways that we can get out of our bodies be in our heads and distract from what there is to feel and it's shifting into how can we feel it all in order to heal and in order to be fully alive
1: yeah it's like coming back to our basic needs just sensing sensual beings, we are sensual animals. And like you said earlier, you know, pleasure doesn't have to just be sexual. It can also just be the ability to be present with how we sense the world and being present with, I don't know, touching the the leaf of a tree to feeling the warmth of sunshine on our face. And I remember hearing that in your podcast That's why you wanted to move to L.A. because of the palm trees and the sunshine and really framing that as your experience of pleasure and really expanding the rainbow of what pleasure can be, um, not just siloed as a sexual experience, which is, you know, a very limiting um, way to understand this space. And on that, you know, I I just want to kind of throw in um, for, for personal reasons What do you see as the difference between, for example, erotic versus sexual sensation or power? Because they are different, but I think, you know, we need someone to articulate that like you.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean all of what you just said. Yes, yes, yes. Um so well and let me I'm curious about I want to clarify your question. Are you asking what the difference is between our sensual power and our sexual power or like are the difference between our pleasure that is outside of the bedroom and inside of the bedroom?
1: yeah, if you want to talk about the the two textures, that's great. i've I've just heard this word erotic, a, a bunch in the pleasure space, and it does have a different sort of feeling or vibe than you know, sexual sort of um, sensation or experience. So maybe just discerning what the two are, at least from your perspective and and how we can tap more fully into each flavor if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for clarifying. So, so because everyone also has such a different definition, <laughs> right? Like everyone has a different perspective and definition of sexuality, sensuality, eroticism, and we all have different, you know, visualizations of what comes to mind or reference points. Right. So, um, that's why I'm, I'm asking for clarification and then you're asking me to clarify for everyone. Right. So based on my experience, my perspective, so eroticism, eros, eros, our er, eros, right? Our erotic energy to me is just our life force energy. So our, so eros is like in everything it is in, in the world of orgasmic meditation, they just called it orgasm, <laughs> orgasm as an energy and not as a climax, right? As an energy, as an energy source. And, you know, I can, I think it you can just be easily as called, just as easily be called eros our erotic energy is our life force energy. It is naturally in all of us and can be used for creativity. It can be used for sensuality. It can be used for building buildings. It can be used for holding a family. It can be used for birthing a child. Um, It can be used for any sort of creative expression or communication or whatever it wants, however it wants to come through could be used in song, right? Um, In music. So to me, that's our eros is our, it's our orgasmic energy. It's our erotic energy. It's our life force energy that is there whether we're aroused or not. So it's actually distinct from sex. It's distinct from sexuality. Um, and, And we all can tap into it. It's actually always there. And then sexuality is more specific to sex, right? It's more specific to often genital stimulation or body stimulation, right? And arousal. And so it's more physical. It tends to be. And so that's my view is like Eros is more the, the erotic energy is more the energy inside of us that is just naturally there, naturally there that is our life force. And Sexuality and sexual exploration is more of the physical, more of the stimulation and arousal. Mm, beautiful,
1: yeah. It seems like the erotic or eros can be found really in the moment-to-moment experience of life. Just that you know, capacity to really feel good, um, no matter what you're doing or what you're experiencing. And um, thank you for for sharing that. I, um, would love to shift now into, can I just say one more
0: thing about that? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just one more thing, cause I was focusing on, you know, arrows versus sex and just, just to kind of expand on what you said earlier about, um, you know, that pleasure is everywhere and pleasure isn't everything and can be accessed at any time. And that's really a big thing that I work on with my clients is like getting out of it, that, it, that sex And pleasure are not collapsed. And so I am always checking in with my clients and with myself and with women in my life and and people in my life, men too, of course, um, about what would feel good. That's it. (laughs) They're asking me a question and I'm like, hmm, well, what would feel good? And it doesn't have to be anything sexual, right? It could be like, what do I want to eat for lunch? And I'm like, well, what would feel good for you? What would turn you on? (laughs) Because <laughs> I use turn-on interchangeably with something that has feels igni- like ignition on, in the body, right? So what would turn you on? What would have you feel alive? What would feel good for you?
1: Yeah, feeling, feeling, um, rebalancing the feeling with the, the thinking, which, you know, comes back to that integration between the mind and the body and, you know, Really just allowing ourselves to experience more sensation, which you spoke about earlier. Um, And on that topic of sort of integration, that's sort of a topic that I like to understand, um, on this show with our guests is, you know, how to integrate, um, our complexity of being in order to embrace those, you know, different parts of ourselves and those, those forgotten parts of ourselves within us and then around us. And you can see that as sort of like the diversity within us, um, and, and how to really
0: claim that. So, yeah. Yeah you can, we can connect to pleasure at any time. Uh, And that's one of the questions that I ask myself is what would feel good? And another thing that I use as a a simple way to drop into my pleasure is that I ask myself and I ask my clients, what would have this moment and this experience be 10% more pleasurable for you? So it's just an easy way to put your attention on something that would improve the experience. And so often, you know, I'll I'll talk to my clients when we're sitting down to a call and I'll say, okay, what would have this be 10% more pleasurable, right? Maybe getting a sip of water, lighting a candle, getting a fuzzy blanket, uh, maybe moving to the bed, um, maybe just changing your clothing. Maybe you're in like a scratchy outfit, right? And so we can actually ask ourselves that question anytime. We just generally don't because we are so conditioned to be in our heads that we're not even paying attention to what feels good or what our bodies want and need. And so it's just powerful to drop in and and slow down for a moment and just check in with our bodies. Like, What what would feel good right now? What would make this 10% more pleasurable?
1: Mm, I love that. It really speaks to that need to really integrate our mind with our body and to yeah, just that 10%, you know, scratchy clothing, how can I shift out of this? Or I appreciate these little small baby steps to help us really step more into our kind of um, pleasure and our reclamation of it. And I guess speaking of reclamation, um, you mentioned before this podcast um, about a mentor and a teacher of yours, Mama Gina, who is the best-selling author of Pussy, a Reclamation, and she is pretty big badass Um, she said women are the greatest untapped resource on the planet and um, you know again just like moving into these like forgotten neglected or shadow parts of the women that you know this new story of pleasure is about integrating it's about um, tying in the complexity of our being to be more powerful and to take up more space and to live from our truth so um, yeah like Kind of building on what Mama Gina said, what are those shadow parts of women that you feel like are craving to be seen? And you, you can even talk about it from the perspective of the women that you've recently been working with um, through Desire on Fire um, or any of the other um, workshops or challenges that you've recently offered.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that you brought this up because I love Mama Gina. Um, She's absolutely amazing. One of my favorite teachers and I've had a lot of amazing teachers. Um, Yeah. Wow. So many, so many aspects of us as women, you know, of course I'm generalizing here, but just because I've had a lot of experience being a woman and working with many, many women, um, so much is hidden in the shadow because there is not permission in our culture to feel what we feel. For example, uh, being rageful, being sad, being angry, being jealous, um, any sort of emotion that our culture does not approve of, right? It's not love and light. (laughs) It's not love and light. So it's not allowed here. Um, so then it gets pushed into the shadow. Um, and then, Uh, it comes out sideways, right? It comes out in illness. It comes out in women blowing up at their partner, you know, after years of repressed sadness, rage, disappointment, resentment. Um, It comes out in, uh, yeah, affairs. It comes out in like, well, if we're going to get into like the witchy energetics of it, it comes out in like, like, huge things happening in somebody's life, like a freaking car crash or, you know, a fire or something, you know, I believe in the energetics of things. So I'm like, if women are building up, building up, building up, building up, building up all of this energy, you know, that's their darker emotions as our culture would see it, then catastrophic stuff happens because that power, that energy is so powerful that it does manifest in ways outside of ourselves and definitely in disease and definitely in resentment that then creates rifts in relationships Um, and so so many other things. Um, And then on the sexual side, I mean, just so many, oh my gosh, I could tell you so many stories. I'm thinking about one of the women who was, who's very active in my community and, and participates in my work. And she came into her first retreat with us and had so much shame around having an std. She had never told anyone because when she was a kid, she she actually got uh she got herpes when she was like 13 or 14, like first time first partner, first sexual partner and had so much shame around it and like people in her school found out. And so she never told anyone and never spoke about it again. And she is a sexual woman. So much of her power is in her eros, right? Is in her erotic energy, in her desire, in her pleasure. And she's a leader. She's a teacher. She's a coach. And she, all of that was tamped down until she walked into that retreat. And we gave her so much permission and so much space to tap into her sluttiness. I, I like, I was just like, I was like, are you a slut? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, <laughs> but, but not in the way that anyone would think, right? She's like had a long-term relationship. She's married, right? So she's not, it's like, I mean, the archetype of slut, which is one of the archetypes in our culture that is shamed, right? Don't be a slut. And it's like, it's just like the freely sexual woman, right? The woman that has permission for her desire and her pleasure and her turn on and her hunger. And so it was really fun to get to play with her in that conversation and give her so much play and approval for this archetype inside of her, right? This part of her that is sexual, that does love to play, but who was shamed since she was 13 years old and so that was so healing she's then transformed so deeply her relationship her marriage is completely 180 her she's also actually um a leader in in, in her religious community and for all of her clients. And wow, has she impacted everyone by having all of this approval for herself and her erotic energy and her desires and her sexuality. And this is another example of where women are shamed, right? They are suppressed and shamed. We are suppressed and put down and shamed and told to be quiet, right? So our emotions have been put into the shadow. Our sexuality, our hunger right. For sex, for food, for power, for money. Um, right. We're told to be small. Don't be too loud. Don't be too big. Don't be too, don't be fat. Don't eat too much. Don't be too much. So all of these messages that we're getting are making us smaller and smaller and smaller and sicker and quieter. Right. And then we have a huge epidemic of eating disorders, depression, anxiety, uh, sororicide, as I call it, which is women killing other women off energetically, like putting them down. Right. Um, Uh, Not supporting each other, comparing themselves against each other, not not backing each other and celebrating each other's uh, accomplishments because there's so much like competition and head-to-headness. So something that jumped out at me when
1: immersing myself in your world before this was a Dalai Lama quote that you highlighted. And he said, the world will be saved by the Western women. And I would love to hear, you know, after listing all these sort of ways in which women have believed that we are not enough and coming really from this place of scarcity— what do you think he means when he says the world will be saved by the Western women? And how is that going to
0: happen? Our emotions, our creativity, our sexuality, our hunger—right? We are we are told that we are too fat, too loud, too uh, too needy, too everything, right? And so it's like we get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and sicker and quieter and more suppressed, and also more rageful. And then the world doesn't have uh, the power of our, the of our energy, of our arrows, of our voice, of our expression, because we're just like smaller, 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 and and then the world is missing this incredible feminine power uh, because of all the messages that we get. So,
1: something that jumped out at me when immersing myself in your world before this was a Dalai Lama quote that you highlighted. And he said, the world will be saved by the Western women. And I would love to hear, you know, after listing all these sort of ways in which women have believed that we are not enough and coming really from this place of scarcity, What do you think he means when he says the world will be saved by the Western women? And how is that going to happen?
0: (laughs) I don't know exactly, but here's my thought. (laughs) I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can be the one to declare how this is going to happen. So here, here are my thoughts. I think because we have to go down before we have to go up, right? We are in such a suppressed culture. Not to say that we have the most suppressed culture because there are a lot of suppressed cultures in our, on our planet, in our world. But because we live in such a suppressed culture for women, um, that And it's subtle. That's the thing, right? Because, because people look in on America and they're like, oh, it's free, right? America's free, right? There's no one, we don't, women aren't forced to wear certain things, right? Women aren't forced to to cover their bodies. Women aren't forced to not be able to drive, right? So people look from the outside and they're like, women aren't suppressed, (laughs) but, but it's so subtle. It's in the messaging on social media, Right, it's in the messaging on TV. It's in the messaging from our parents and in the sex ed classrooms, right where our where our power is 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 ticked away, where we're told to be smaller and quieter and not sexual and not hungry, and so because we're we're we've been in a down uh, for a while since like there was a matriarchal society and women were exalted and women were honored, um, and because we're so. I think people have been hitting such a bottom with this, a rock bottom. (laughs) I think women are the uprising, right? Women are doing this work. Um, They are doing healing work, sexual awakening work, spiritual work. And they are, we are reconnecting, reclaiming our power, our voice, our hunger, our desire, our pleasure. And that to me is what's going to change the world, right? My teacher, Nicole, who created orgasmic meditation says, Um, and I don't want to quote her wrong, but as, as, at least as how I remember it, she said, it's not, uh, just the the Western woman who will, who will, you know, save the world or wake up the world. It's the turned on woman. (laughs) And so I, I agree. Like, to me, it's like, it's those of us brave enough to, to forge this path of pleasure and turn on and desire and connecting to our bodies and our emotionality that will, transform the structures that are not serving our culture that will transform the narratives that are not serving our culture and that are keeping people small and stuck and held in shame and so it's up to us to do our awakening work and our sexual healing work uh, in order to make that shift in the world
1: that's what it is the change starts within and um you know as you were talking about your vision for this happening. I just was thinking, you know, this really has the potential to affect girls, you know, even during puberty and really redesigning sex education and how girls grow up to be women, empowered women in our society. And, um, you know, kind of shifting into COVID pandemic times, you Right somewhere, COVID is the great pause, getting you to slow down. More than ever, the world needs you lit up, turned on, and in your power. And so I'd love to hear from you because you seem to have created so many new experiences for women during these past few months. How has this global lockdown impacted women's desire for and capacity to receive um,
0: pleasure in their personal development journey? Yeah, it's such a good question. And you know, I didn't know how it was gonna go. Like when all this hit, I was like, what is gonna happen? (laughs) I think everyone was thinking that, right? And it's been so beautiful. It has been so beautiful to witness women just coming out and being willing to show up for themselves and do this work. And I really do, my business partner, Ellie, and I really do see this entire year and this pandemic as the great pause. It is forcing everyone to slow down, which exaggerates our numbing patterns, right? More than ever. We're seeing people drinking, doing drugs, overeating, uh, watching TV, right? Doing all of these addictive patterns that are numbing. And at the same time, (laughs) we're seeing, you know, in, in my world more than ever, people being sick of that, Right? They're sick of themselves. <laughs> they're like they're actually slowing down enough because they're usually so busy, like going to events and going to work, and then go, like going to the gym, and then and they're they are not doing that right now, and so they're they're actually facing themselves, and they're like, oh my god, I am sick of myself. I'm sick of these patterns. I'm sick of my partner <laughs> uh, or whatever, and so they're willing to actually look inward and say, I want to do something different, and it's time. And so I think it's really highlighted. It's highlighted our destructive patterns and it's highlighted our desires for different patterns and for healing and for something to feel better in this lifetime. And so, you know, people are just being with themselves more (laughs) and, um, and whether they like it or not. And so for us, it's been amazing to get to serve those who have been brave enough to forge this journey, forge this path and and start on this journey or continue this journey for themselves. And Ellie and I have led many virtual retreats over the last nine months. Um, we led two for men and women, one for singles, one for couples. We've led three virtual, four virtual retreats for women, just weekend long, um, immersive experience over zoom. Um, and now we're starting our six-month deep dive program for women. It's called Pleasure Mastery. It's a six-month program. And we have 52 women signed up for it. And it is amazing. These women span seven countries and 20 states in the US. And they're here for it. We have women from Alabama, from Texas, from Indiana, from Iowa, from the Netherlands, from Australia, the UK, Israel. And that is what inspires me. Like these women are ready for it. They are sick of the old patterns. They are sick of the ways that they are settling for tolerating things, unhappy with their sex lives or their love lives or their feeling of purpose. And they're like, no more. It's time to do something different. So,
1: congratulations, Amy, for. Yeah, just taking this group of women that have said yes on this really powerful journey for the next six months um, to really activate um, their highest and their most pleasurable selves. And I would love to set up a, you know, thought experiment um, building on this. So let's say in 10 years, we're looking at culture from where we sit now What do you see culture looking like around sex, pleasure, and intimacy? And these women that are on this journey with you now, what are they doing 10 years from now to embody and to share these learnings that they've integrated during these times? What do you see?
0: Uh, Well, first of all, thank you so much for the congratulations. I just want to let that in because part of my work is receding right? Part of what I teach women is to receive. And we so easily don't. (laughs) We so easily skip over receiving experiences, moments, congratulations, love, attention. So thank you so much for that beautiful acknowledgement. And, um, yeah, I'm really letting it in. And then to answer your question, um, 10 years from now. I love this question because I haven't thought about it this specifically or vividly. But you know, my vision for the world is that that just sexual practices and sexual healing and relationship practices like the ones I teach will become so common. It's just like yoga, right? Everybody knows about it. It's just like as common as going to the gym, as common as um going to to a yoga class, as common as um going to a meetup event. You know, it's like, it's like, of course, this is what everyone's doing, right? Of course you are prioritizing your, um, sexual awakening and your conversations about relationship and conscious relating. Um, and so everyone will be practicing this. Like it will, I was talking to a friend today about, um, one of the tools that I, that I practice, which is called, um, relationship by design, where you create a relationship with someone for a week or a month or a year, and you practice specific relationship, Tools for that time. And she was like, Holy crap, like uh, everyone needs to be able to do that. (laughs) She's like, So you could just walk up to somebody and ask if you want to have a relationship with them for like a week. And I was like, Yeah, (laughs) just to research relationships and research intimacy. And I want it to be that common. I want people to be able to create conscious containers around relating um, with anyone. And do it safely and consensually and consciously, and have major awakening from it and healing. And my vision is is that you know these clients of mine are raising families and raising women and men who are who have so much approval and permission for their sexual desires and have are so steeped in understanding boundaries and consent, um, and fantasy and honoring people's fantasies and not needing to say yes just because someone expresses a desire, and without shaming them. Right. And I want to, I see a world where um, women are practicing sensual movement, erotic movement, and moving their hips not just going to the gym and working with weights, which is not a problem, but it's so linear, right? Women have curvy bodies for a reason. We are, we are meant to be curving, curving around and swirling and moving our hips. And so my vision is women doing central movement and erotic movement, moving their bodies, um, in, in all sorts of ways, not just in linear fashions like we do at the gym. And for people to be having practices of breath work and orgasmic meditation and self-pleasure practices, sex sex magic meditation, all of these different practices are the norm, right? People say, oh, what's your morning routine look like, right? How often do famous people get the question, what does your morning routine look like, right? Everyone wants to know what's the secret. And usually it's like, oh, I wake up and I meditate and I, you know, I journal or I get in a cold plunge or uh, whatever, right? I say I have a healthy breakfast. I don't look at my phone. And I foresee, you know, 10 years from now that everyone is talking about their self-pleasure practice. Everyone is talking about their partnered sexual practices that they're talking about their movement practices and their breath-focused and body-focused practices. And so that that is a norm, that people know what I'm talking about when I say sexual practices, (laughs) that everyone knows what I'm talking about, Um, that is just as common as everyone going to the gym or everyone eating healthy, right? Because those are practices of our culture of going to the gym and eating healthy. Those are expected. Those are even, honestly, even shamed if people don't, right? But then we don't have other kinds of there's no flexibility and flow around what practice can look like and how it can really incorporate arrows. So those are some of my visions. I'm glad you asked. I hadn't really thought about it, but I really foresee, you know, way more people engaging in this conversation and using these kinds of tools. I love that. I love
1: the visual of that being as normal and as accepted as yoga because, you know, if we went back in time, you know, hundred years ago, people weren't doing yoga or breath work that would have been considered strange or foreign or alien. Um, So I really love the way that you envision the future of our sexual and pleasure awakening. And just for fun, um, I like to ask coaches and teachers and facilitators this sometimes. Um, You know, you reach women all around the world, but if you could coach Someone in the world or if that, that doesn't come to mind just like a group of people of a certain culture um, Your favorite uh, Pleasure and sexual practices. Who would that be or who would that group be? Uh, definitely Kamala Harris
0: <laughs> um, I'm like first thought best thought Kamala Harris given that she's about to be the vice president of the United States And I would love for her to have this work um that's just one. Uh, but then, no, and, and really, I, I have actually had that thought. Like, I was like, whoa, if we're going to have a woman in power, right? And I had the same thought about Hillary. I was like, I want these women sexually liberated. We can't just have women in power. If we have women in power who are only in their masculine energy, it's almost like having men in power, right? We need women who are actually connected to their feminine energy, their emotionality, their sexuality, that feel liberated in their full spectrum self. And so that would be one, you know, I would want to influence, I would just want to work with like politicians, (laughs) like the biggest change makers to be having this conversation. Um, Absolutely. And then, you know, I mean, I, I would love to, to work with some of the, the cultures that, that feel to me, like they're most suppressed around sexuality. Um, definitely, uh, the Arab culture and the, like Christian communities, Catholic communities. Um, I have a a good friend of mine who lives in Dubai, and she's been in one of my retreats, and has. She's just incredible. She is just a change maker, hundred percent, and loves this conversation and this work. And she gets. She's a big influencer, and she gets a lot of pushback. um, And she's not even vocal about anything sexual yet, right? And so she already gets pushback for being as outspoken as she is. And so I would love to go into. Yeah, I'd love to go into Saudi Arabia. love to go into um, Arab countries and and any other country or culture or community where sex is so shamed that people expressing their truth their desire their pleasure is so ridiculed and shamed and and uh, looked down on um, because it creates a culture of incredible suppression and shame and secrecy and I love the quote we're only as sick as our secrets because we are we we are. Like, what's the word? It's like the the these, these messages of like that wanting and desire and pleasure is sinful is basically beat into us. For some people, it actually is as children. And we become so secretive and so shamed that we are sick, right? Both mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, and then it results in this culture that we have, right? Of people that are depressed with anxiety, with major chronic illnesses, with an, with an insane amount of abuse and assault and violence um, because there is so much spiritual sickness as well as physical and emotional um, because of our shame and because of our secrecy and because of all the things that we hide. keeps coming back to
1: shame. And for someone who wants to make pleasure... A part of their normal routine, and maybe they never even thought that could be a possibility. What is something simple, although everyone's different, but a practice that you could share to someone who wants to make it as normal as
0: yoga? Hmm. Well, it's just so different for everyone. I mean, I would, I would say like developing a self-pleasure practice is one of the most profound, profound elements of my, my experience, my awakening. And, um, that can look any way. So I would say like, even if it's a five minute, um, container, as I would call it, like a five minute timer that you set for yourself to be in pleasure with your own body, it might look like you massaging your arm. It might be giving yourself a head massage. It might be genital stimulation. It might be tickling or, you know, giving yourself little, um, my, my roommate calls it kitties, like little, little, um, tingles and tickles with your hands, right? It might be, um, just different kinds of, of self-pleasure, right? Connecting to your body and, and might, it just might be meditating. It might be napping, right? Whatever is pleasurable for you for five minutes a day, minimum, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, but taking a time, maybe it's breathing. (laughs) Maybe it's just taking 10 minutes to breathe every day and just drop into your body, deep breaths into your belly, which is something we as a culture don't do. Um, We breathe. We're very much in our throat, in our chest, in our throat. And These are just simple ways that we can connect to our pleasure. And it doesn't even have to be a genital stimulating self-pleasure practice because that freaks some people out to even think about, right? They can't even bridge that, that they can't even go there yet. So, um, that's what I would say is like, keep it simple. We have the women in our pleasure mastery program taking on one daily practice for the entire six months because practice is the concept of practice is so important in what I teach. And so it can be anything. It could be that you sit with a candle And just kind of connect with nature. Maybe it's that you uh, sit with, put your technology away and look outside and just enjoy the snow or the trees. Um, Whatever is pleasurable for you. But taking a little bit of time every day to incorporate something that feels good for you and actually committing to that is a great place to start. So simple
1: and so doable. So as we come to a close, Amy, I would love to ask you if there is one message or question that you can leave our audience today to reflect on beyond this conversation,
0: what would that message or question be? Hmm. I think it would be if you were not obligated to do anything if you had no obligations and no nothing that tied you down, what would you be doing? Who would you be? What would you step into? And that is the vision that I would invite people to stand inside of and step into and allow themselves to move move forward into uh, because to me, that's that's what it looks like to have a life of, from your own desire, to live a life from your desire. Um, we got to get out of the obligation and into the desire and be unreasonable and ruthless for what we want and what feels good for us and know that everybody else will benefit when we do that. So that's the question that I would ask people to, to ask themselves and to look at for themselves. Oh, well, Amy, it was such a pleasure to
1: just journey with you and really, you know, delve into, you know, the painful parts of ourselves, but also what's possible when we become curious about our pleasure and we step into that awakening that continues to deepen and grow and evolve, which you yourself have demonstrated so beautifully in your own experience on this journey. And, um, I'm really excited for you and your new program and, uh, Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for the wisdom that you share.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's such a joy for me to have these conversations. It's such a pleasure for me and I would love to have them with everyone. And I want to extend an invitation to all of your listeners, uh, for those who are interested in this conversation and for anyone who identifies as a woman, um, I'm leading my next pleasure challenge in January, the month of the week of the 11th through the 15th. And so, um, it is free with the code pleasure. And so anyone who's listening who wants an easy way to step into a little more pleasure and get some tools and get some support around it, it's so much fun. It's called The Pleasure Revolution, and it's a five-day challenge. So um, if anyone wants to join me in that, they are so welcome. You are all so welcome to join, and it's just thepleasurechallenge.com. So I will, of course, provide that link for you so you can share it with your community and... Um, yeah, would love for, for anyone listening to, to get more involved in this pleasure conversation. Well, I'm going to be joining Amy. (laughs) All right. Then anyone listening who wants to join me and Tiffany (laughs) for the pleasure challenge? Um, yes, I'm so excited. We haven't done a pleasure challenge now in a few months because we were, we did three in a row. It was so fun. We had about 800 women go through the pleasure challenge. And so now I'm really excited for the new year to do it again and that you'll be joining me
1: amazing Amy um, ladies and gents who are curious although this seems like it's for ladies or for men as well
0: the pleasure challenge is just for women but definitely men can follow along in my work um, they can follow me on Instagram at Amy Vituski and my company website, my company Instagram, which is desire on fire. Um, and then when we do things that are co-ed or include men and all genders, then they can, you know, they'll be, they'll be in the know. Um, and definitely they, I'd love to stay connected to any man who's, who's listening, who is interested in this conversation as well, because I'm so involved in the men work, the men's work that goes parallel with the women's work that I lead. We will include all of your links in
1: the show notes and um, very much looking forward to following along. And Amy, thank you so much again. And to all of you listening, uh, we'll see you guys next week. And thank you so much for all the support. Um, And yeah, see you next time.
0: The The alt normal.
1: This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.